So the day that I graduated from high school, uh, my parents and I left the ceremony, drove straight to the airport, and hopped on one of those cheap planes that like gets you really cheap airfare, but you have to pay for everything, like $5 for a bottle of water, $30 for your luggage, 20 bucks to use the bathroom, like all these crazy things on these airfare, right? And so we hopped on this plane together, paid no money because we were cheap for the rest of the flight, and flew all the way to Seattle, Washington. And I was extremely excited about Seattle. There were so many things that I wanted to see and do while we were there. I wanted to see the Space Needle, uh, which is just a giant tower. Uh, I wanted to see uh, Pike Place Fish Market, where they like toss fish and go, hey, like all throughout there. And then they fake toss one to you and you like freak out, <laughs> which didn't happen to me. Um, and then they had all sorts of other cool stuff as well, like Mount St. Helens is out that way. Mount St. Helens. And this is an incredibly beautiful mountain. You can see the picture up there. I had read about Mount St. Helens. It was so incredible to me uh, that at 8.32 a.m. on May 18th of 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted and blew off the top of that mountain. And in doing so, this powerful display was shot out from the mountain that it destroyed 47 bridges, 15 miles of railroad, 185 miles of highway, and 250 homes. This thing was powerful. They said that the ash from this explosion could be seen from states away from Mount St. Helens. It was massive. And for years afterwards, all of the area around Mount St. Helens was destroyed. That you would walk through all this nature and it was beautiful and then you would come to this point where you would see fallen trees and ash and destruction and all of this craziness that had happened from this explosion. And I was incredibly excited to go and see what this looked like because they said it was starting to overgrow again and, and it was new birth that was coming on the mountain. But they had this visitor center. You could pay to go up and you would see this beautiful picture like this of the mountain. And so the last day of our trip, before we were going to fly out that night, we said, hey, we've got to see Mount St. Helens. So we got up incredibly early in the morning. And being an 18-year-old, as we drove up the mountain, I slept in the back seat because that's what an 18-year-old boy does as they drive up the mountain with their parents. And as we did all this maneuvering back and forth, we finally got to the visitor center. And my dad reaches back and he shakes my leg to wake me up and he says, Jake, we're here. And I'm so excited. I've read all of this. I've seen the pictures. I cannot wait. And as I open my eyes, I see this before me. <laughs> fog. <laughs> Nothing but fog. And so we say, hey, you know what? It's fog. It comes. It goes. And it stays. It never goes. No matter how many hours you stay at the visitor center of Mount St. Helens, this was our view. And then we flew out that night. Yeah. So I was all excited about seeing this incredibly powerful mountain before me. And instead, I got nothing. I had no picture, no experience, no power, no memory. Because of fog, I missed out on an incredibly powerful experience. We're working through a series called Mountains. We're uh, going to wrap it up today. We've talked here uh, two weeks ago about Abraham and Isaac and that God provides even if he asks us to do something that seems to defy logic. And then uh, last week we talked about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And we talked about this idea of to stop limping along, but to choose 
and allow God to use us to impact other people as well. If you've missed any of these talks, we'd encourage you to check it out online or the North Point app. Uh, You can catch up with some really great stuff. We're going to climb down off of mountains today, and we're going to move into the deserts next week. And it's going to be incredible. So we encourage you guys to check that out. But this morning for our last mountain, we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Now the story, the event that we're going to look at here actually appears in three of the four Gospels. So we know the Gospel uh, is considered to be the good news of Jesus Christ. It's about his life, his death, uh, his resurrection, all of those things. And we know it comes in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the very beginning of the New Testament. And what we're going to look at here, our particular mountain, takes place in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Matthew was an apostle of Jesus. He followed along, he got to see Jesus do all these things, and then he recorded it and wrote the gospel according to Matthew, that Luke was a companion uh, to the apostle Paul. He was one of the greatest missionaries of all time, and so he did the tons of research for people that were around Jesus at that time, and he wrote the gospel according to Luke, and that Mark is actually a guy named John Mark, and he was a close friend of the apostle Peter, and so he took the stories from Peter, and he wrote uh, the gospel according to Mark. And we're going to jump in and out of these different uh, perspectives, and that's exactly what they are. They're telling the same story. But there are a few differences in them, and they're not uh, contradictory. They don't mess with the story. But it's kind of like if you're a big college football fan like me, I don't know if you guys knew that we like football on Snap Weird, right? Uh, You see when they do the national championship game, ESPN does this thing they call the Megacast, right? And they like take all their ESPN channels, and you can watch the traditional view. You can watch the coach's view. You can watch Team A's view or Team B's view or the Sky view. Like it's telling the same game, but it's all these different people talking about it, all these different perspectives on the same thing. That's kind of what it's like for some of these events that happen in the gospel. It's the same thing that's happening, but you're getting slightly different perspectives based on how they see or interpret that event. So what we're going to read today takes place uh, as we move towards the end of Jesus's ministry, that he's been around, he has done miracles, he has raised the dead, he has healed people, he has done some incredible teaching, he's got people following him all the time now. In fact, it's starting to make uh, some people in power a little bit uneasy because of how popular Jesus has become at this point in time. And right before this event, Jesus asked his closest followers, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter steps up and Peter says, hey, you are, you're the Messiah. You are the king. And it's like for this brief moment, Peter gets it. Just this brief moment. It's like, yes, Peter. All right, man. You you understand Jesus is not just an ordinary person. He's not some great teacher or rabbi. Like there is something beyond extraordinary about Jesus. And Peter gets it for this brief little moment right here. And then after that, Jesus talks to his followers about the suffering And the death and the resurrection that's about to come for him. And it freaks them out. Especially Peter. Especially Peter. And Peter, who has just proclaimed Jesus to be like, you are king, you are Messiah. When Jesus talks about this, he pulls him aside and goes, Jesus, no, you don't do that. Don't say those things. And he rebukes Jesus. Now think with me for a second. Peter says, you are king and Messiah, but you are doing it wrong, right? Like who says that to Jesus? Come on, that doesn't make any sense. We wouldn't go to like the president's inaugural address and be like, you're so great. Now let me tell you what you messed up, right? Like we wouldn't do those things. And yet that is what Peter has done right here. And as a result, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know if you've ever been insulted before, but I'm assuming you've never been called Satan by Jesus, right? Like that is a whole nother level 
right there that Jesus throws at Peter. And the disciples are incredibly confused about what Jesus is talking about, this suffering to come. And that leads us in to Matthew chapter 17. It says this in verse 1, after six days, so they've been talking about all of Jesus' teachings that they don't get here for six days. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, if we were to look at the context here of where they're located and the geography of the area, more than likely, they are climbing up what is called Mount Herman. And we, we assume that because of its location and its height and all sorts of things, that more than likely this happens during Mount Hermon. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to go with him and climb up this mountain. Now, for some reason, when we read through the Gospels, Jesus seems to always have Peter, James, and John when the cool stuff happens. Like, they get to be a part of all the really, really cool things. If I was one of the other disciples, I would be extremely jealous of these three. Now, I have no idea why Jesus chose Peter, James, and John. Uh, scholars have debated this for a while. Some people will come out and say, hey, look, he liked Peter, James, and John because they were some of his first followers. Like, they had the luck of the draw. Like, you three with my team, you get the cool stuff. You were the first ones to come down. Congratulations. Uh, they're the most faithful, maybe. Uh, some people say they were just closest. Like, Peter, James, and John were Jesus' boys. I don't know. They had, like, a group text or, like, matching jackets. I don't know what it could have been. But, like, these were his guys. Other people would say Peter, James, and John were the troublemakers, right? Like we know this, if you've ever led students before, like, you know, okay, you, you, and you, you are by my side for the entire trip. (laughs) Yeah. We are not letting anything catch fire this time. You are right here. Okay. And if that was Jesus's mentality, it really didn't work because these guys mess up all the time. Hence before this, Peter is called Satan by Jesus. And in fact, right after this event, James and John send their mom to Jesus to jockey for a position of power. Who sends their mom to do the dirty work? Especially to Jesus. Like, can you imagine when they got back, Jesus just looking at them like, really? Really? All right, so like, these are, these are the guys that Jesus has with him here. Peter, who is Satan, and the two mama's boys climbing up this mountain together. All right? This is what's happening. Verse 2. Verse 2. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Now, if you're like me, you have probably never heard the word transfigured outside of the Bible before. If you have, your vocabulary is gooder than mine. But transfigured... Look at that. You guys are good. All right. Transfigured simply means this. It means to be transformed into something more beautiful and elevated. Okay. Now, husbands, here's a piece of advice. This is worth the price of admission. When you get ready for date night and your wife shows up and says, honey, how do I look? The answer is never fine. Instead, look her deep in the eyes and say, baby, you look transfigured. (laughs) Promise it will work. That's the one. That's the winner right there. Okay, so what does transfiguration look like? What in the world does this mean? What is going on? Like the Bible just glimpses over this, and he was transfigured before them. Uh, I saw a pastor down in Florida who put it this way. He was a big hunter, and he said, transfiguration is like turkeys. Hang with me, okay? Uh, It's like turkeys, okay? Uh, I see this all the time because when I drive here, I I go down down, um, Wood Road and turn on Webb, and there's this field. And it has got tons of these turkeys hanging on this field. And most of the time they look like these scrawny little guys here that are 
nasty looking little birds that are just kind of going all over the place. But if we know anything about turkeys, there is one time a year when male turkeys try to get the attention of lady turkeys and they become transfigured. (laughs) Boom. Yeah. And then Thanksgiving, boom. Okay, right? So, yeah. If you want to know more about turkeys, go to a field, find somebody with a crossbow. That's all I got for you, okay? So, transfigured. They become more beautiful and elevated. It becomes totally different than it was before. Matthew says this way. He said he had face like the sun and clothes were white as light. Luke says they were, he was dazzling white or like lightning before him. Mark says radiant white Like no man can bleach. Mark says he looks like Clorox here. (laughs) Not super creative, Mark, get it together. But all of these things are to show us that Jesus' appearance changed. It changed. That we in this moment, that Peter, James, and John standing before, get a glimpse of the glory and the holiness of Jesus that they get a preview of Jesus' future exaltation when he comes back to establish his kingdom here on earth. This is a massive moment for these guys. They get to see something that nobody else has gotten to see before, that they are seeing the glory of God bursting through the humanity of Jesus in this moment. It is a huge moment, and it only gets bigger. Verse 3. It says, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, let me help you out here. Moses has been dead for like 1,200 years. Elijah was, didn't die. He was just called up to God in a chariot of fire. Really cool story. But that was like 900 years ago. Okay, and I have no idea how they know, but all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appear before Jesus. No idea how they know. I don't know if they had hats, name tags, whatever, but somehow they knew this was Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus. And if you were a Jewish person at this time, this was huge. These were like Jewish superheroes popping up with Jesus at this moment. That they were massive. You knew Moses and Elijah because they represented the law and the prophets together. And so if you were to see this today, if you're a fan of literature, this would be like, like Shakespeare and Charles Dickens popping up all of a sudden. If, if you like music, it's like Beethoven and Mozart are here. If you like, like history and rulers, it's, it's Genghis Khan and Alexander the Great. If you like dynamic speakers, it's, it's Winston Churchill and Jake Howard right there. And it's, it's this incredible... Sorry, I had to try it. Okay, so this would have been a huge moment for Peter, James, and John. Like, they are fanboys, probably wanted autographs. They are blown away by what they are seeing. Just the three of them. And we know that Moses and Elijah are here representing the law and the prophets. In other words, it is the Old Testament scriptures giving witness to the fulfillment that has come in Jesus Christ. Huge moment right here huge thing happening. And what we see is as this happens, the apostle Peter misses it. (laughs) He misses it here. Verse four. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Lord, it is good that Peter hath made his appearance as well. Oh, Peter, man, you, you're missing it, dude. Read the room, Peter. Dude, this is not about you. 
Like, Peter, who are you in this moment? You're a bystander getting to witness the holiness and the glory that is before you. And you just burst in with, Lord, it is good that we are here. Let's build three tents together. Three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And without probably even recognizing it, Peter has now put Jesus on the same standing as Moses and Elijah. In other words, Jesus, you are just like one of these great teachers, one of these prophets. You are just like these guys. It's not true. Jesus is so much more than these guys. And he seems to build tents. And they're not sure why Peter said tents, if it had to do with like an Old Testament sacrifice or, or what it was. But man, I tend to think that what he's saying here, Peter is saying, man, I just want to stay here. I just want to rest in this moment. I just want to live here. That man, this is so cool. This is so awesome. I just want to be here forever, right? This is like if you've ever been to a really good concert that you just love, and you're just like, man, I could just be here. This is great. Or you go on that vacation. It's at all-inclusive, and you're like, I don't ever want to go back to the kids. I just want to be here, right? Like, it's like that moment for Peter. He's like, this is great. I just want to, I want to stay here. It is comfortable. It is kind. It is great. I want to be here. Luke 9, 33 says that part like this. He said, and as, as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Mark 9, 6 puts it this way. It says, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Here's the thing, guys. If you are in a moment and you are blown away and you, you just don't know what to say, don't. Okay? Like if you enter a room and something's happened and you're like, I, I don't know what to say, don't. It's, that, it's really that easy because more than likely you're going to pull a Peter and you're going to trip over yourself and you're going to mess it up in this moment. And soon we see that Peter finds out that, man, it is not about you. It is not about what you say that matters here, Peter. This is not your moment. And, man, there are so many times... We need to recognize it is not about us either. So many times that we miss out on the greatness and the glory and the power of Jesus because we are focused on the wrong stuff. Because we are focused on the wrong stuff. And so we settle for something less than in that moment. The power of God is moving and doing incredible things all around us and in our life and in the lives of others. And we are focused on what worship songs we like to be saying on Sunday or some stupid drama that happened in our life group or whatever the next Christian self-help book trend that's come out. And we've missed what God is moving and working and doing in this moment before us. And like Peter, we hijack this moment. That when all of this amazing stuff goes on, Peter has literally jumped inside this moment and has hijacked it away. I don't know if it was because of pride. Like, I've I've got to say something. This is a big moment. Peter must make his appearance. Or if he was ignorant, if he was like, whoa, so cool. Jesus, let's just stay forever. I have no idea why Peter did this, but the glory of God is revealed and he is looking for what he can do next to, to look good or to be a part or to have a say. And not only does Peter miss the moment here, but he also equates Jesus with those that are less than who Jesus 
is. He has made Jesus to be small in a moment where God has revealed how big Jesus truly is. Verse 5. He was still speaking, talking about Peter, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And God the Father just pops up in this moment. And in his presence, there's this cloud that comes around. And we see this, this cloud appear all the time in the Old Testament, that that's how God the Father would show up. And we see him say things like he said when Jesus was baptized. And he said, this is my boy. And I am so pleased in him. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, shut up. It is not about you, man. You are doing way too much talking and not enough listening. Ever been there before? God is, he's got something. You're in this incredible moment where God is moving, God is doing something, his presence is all around, and you just need to shh, listen, listen. Jesus has got some amazing things. You are in the presence of greatness, the presence of glory. You are in the presence of the holiness of God in this moment. And the movement that's going on, just listen. It is not about your thoughts. It is not about your ideas or your feelings. It is about Jesus right here. Listen to him. Focus on him. Be about him. Reality is that in anything in our lives, if it is not about Jesus, it winds up being less than. We can make the same mistake that Peter does. And we can make Jesus, who is so big, less than. Because we have to have our way of doing something. Peter wants to set up tents. He wants to live in this incredible moment. And in doing so, he has missed the powerful, holy, and amazing that is Jesus before him. And it is so easy for us as well to get caught up in these good moments in our life. We get caught up in the good and we miss out on the best that's before us. In fact, the reality is if you were to take Jesus out of your life and nothing changes, was he really there to begin with? Was he there to begin with in this moment? The truth is Jesus doesn't just want to be a part of our lives. Jesus wants to be your life. He's not on par with Elijah and Moses. He's not another piece of the puzzle. He is the entire picture. (laughs) Transfigured, the holiness, bursting through the humanity. Jesus isn't a piece of the pie. He is the entire thing. He doesn't fit in with Moses and Elijah. They're branched out of who he is, but rather the voice of God the Father comes down and proclaims that it is all about him. It is all about him. Look at the reaction here in verse 6. It says, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. When the voice of God, the presence of God the Father comes around them and speaks, they just, boom, hit the ground. They are terrified, hoping to just not die. 
just not die. Any Jewish child would know when they heard the scriptures, they've heard the Old Testament stories growing up, and now they see Moses and Elijah, and they know stories of Moses, that when Moses would go up onto a mountain and the presence of God would be there, he would tell them, hey, nobody else is to come on this mountain but Moses. And that if anybody else sets foot on this mountain besides Moses, they will die because they are not worthy to be in the presence of God. Now these three are before Moses, the presence of God, and on a mountain. Uh-oh. <laughs> and so they drop to the ground in this moment, just hoping not to die and are terrified being in the presence of God. Because the reality is the power and the holiness of God is terrifying. It is extremely terrifying. Why? Because it is so much greater than us. Because it is so much bigger than we are. Because we are so unworthy. That when we are in the presence of God, when he reveals his power, when he reveals his holiness, we begin to see just how broken we are. And it is terrifying. That when we see the holiness of God, it should move us to a place where, man, we just hit the deck. I am not worthy to be in the presence of God. I am not worthy. I am so unclean. I am so broken. I am so far away from what is God. We should be terrified in that moment. Because the holiness of God is extremely powerful. It is extremely not us. But the reality is we have no fear anymore. That because of Jesus, we have been made right to his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. It says, for our sake, he made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That when we recognize the power and the holiness of Jesus, and he comes to us, just like here in verse 8, then we come to a place where when we look around, we see nothing else but the presence of Jesus. Look at verse 7 and 8 here. It says, But Jesus came and touched them, the disciples, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That in one moment, Peter is blown away by everything else that's going on, captivated by the moment, captivated by those that appear. But when he becomes into the presence of God, when that holiness of God is revealed, And he recognizes, I cannot touch that. I can't be around that. And yet, Jesus reaches out, picks him up, and shows that only Jesus is left standing in this moment. It's not about anything else. It's not about anyone else. But fixing our eyes on him. And that terror that they felt is relieved because Jesus has chosen to reach out. See, this is not about having the social status. It's not about the job or the money or the perfect Instagram life or the likes or the appearances or the comforts or the trends or anything else. It is about the holy and powerful Jesus. That Jesus is the one who makes us worthy. That he is the one who is powerful. He is the one who makes us righteous. He is the one reaching out to us. 
And he is the only one worthy in this moment. See, I never got to see Mount St. Helens. Incredibly disappointed. I've got no cool pictures. I tried to look like throughout all my photos to find a cool one that I have, but they were literally all just fog. <laughs> I didn't get to see this. I didn't get to see the result of an incredibly powerful event because of fog. Because it took my vision away and made me focus on the wrong stuff. Blinded me in that moment. There are so many times that we allow fog to get in our life. That we stand before God. That we have the presence of the holy God and yet our eyes, our hearts are fixed on something else. Something else that is less than. That may appear great. It may appear like a Moses or Elijah. But it is not the presence of God. It is not the same as Jesus. I was left with no memory, no experience, and no picture. And the same thing almost happened to Peter, James, and John. That when they came face to face with a transfigured Jesus, the holiness of God bursting through the humanity of God, they almost missed it and would have missed it in that moment, except for the fact that Jesus lifted them back up so that they could see only him. They could see only him. You may have never experienced Jesus because your entire life has been fogged up with everything else. You focused on achieving or appearing or gaining or being someone or something else the entire time. And what it's done is it has begun to cloud your view of who Jesus is and what he wants for you. The good news is he still reaches out. That when we have our vision skewed, we can't do it on our own. We have a Savior that reaches out to us. You may have experienced before this amazing power and this holiness of Jesus, but you have been distracted. And so you have chosen to stay where it is comfortable and let God know what your plan is. You've built your tents. This is where I want to be. This is good enough. What I have with Jesus, what I have with God is good, is comfortable. I like this. Let's stay right here. Let me help you out. It's not about you. Shh. And listen. And listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what God is pushing for you to do in this moment. Because if your plans are not focused on and driven by Jesus, then they are not the right plans. Instead, they are less than. Earlier this week, I asked Jamie, I said, hey, I, I, man, I, when we get into some talk that talks about the presence of God and the holiness of God before mankind, holiness bursting through humanity, I just want to take some time. And as a church, I just want to worship that together. That it is so easy to, to be distracted with all of the things that are going on, whether it's in our family, in our jobs, or our social life, or things that we want to achieve, or whatever it may be, that it's times we miss out on just recognizing that we serve a God that is holy, without blame, without fault before us, and that that is the God that is captivating and bringing us in. 
And so we looked together and we saw this song that we're going to play together. And I would encourage, man, as we're going to sing this, it's called After All. The chorus is so simple. It's holy. It's just singing out that you are holy to God. And I don't know when the last time you stopped to just recognize for Jesus who he is. That he is holy. That he is bigger than anything you've ever encountered before. And so what I want to do is is together as as a church, uh, all of us corporately and even individually with ourselves, is just take some time and recognize the holiness of God before us. And to worship him that. So we'll have lyrics that pop up as we typically do. But man, I would encourage, take some time, reflect, recognize, and allow yourself to be put in the presence of a holy God. Allow yourself to fall on your face and be lifted back up as we sing this song together.